Hey there, this is Nathan. Welcome to the Camden Haven Anglican Church Podcast. I'm glad you're making the time to listen to this week's teaching. I'll have more to say at the end, but for now, let's dive right in. Good morning. Hope you're well. I'm Simon, if we have not met, and it's good to be here with you. Uh, We are continuing our series in the book of Revelation this morning, as Elizabeth mentioned, and we are up to our fourth book, or the fourth letter, the Church of Thyatira. I want to introduce you to a guy called Timothy Treadwell. He was an all-American high school swimmer, diver, incredible athlete, so talented that he got a full scholarship to Bradley University in Illinois, got to college few hiccups in life happened and his life spiraled dramatically. He dropped out of college uh, and became addicted to alcohol and heroin. And so a few months later, he hops on a plane with his friend, goes to Alaska thinking that the crisp mountain air might, you know, clear his mind a bit. Uh, And he gets there and they're hiking through the mountains in Alaska and they're confronted with a 200 kilogram male grizzly bear which would be pretty, pretty terrifying for anyone to see something that's just created by God just to kill stuff. Uh, they, they survive, and it becomes this kind of transcendent moment for him uh, where he never does alcohol or heroin again, and he becomes hyper-fixated on grizzly bears. And so what he does is every, every summer, he buys a camera, hops in a plane, goes to Alaska, sets up camp in an area where he knows where they're going to be, Uh, And he just kind of like woos them in with his food and hangs out with the grizzly bears. And he's warned verbally and written that there's a coming day where your tent will be like a Macca's cheeseburger wrapper and they were just going to take you out um, because they're not just like little dolls you can cuddle. Um, Yet he persists and he gets this name Grizzly Man. Uh, And we kind of fast forward a few more years and it's 2003 and he brings his girlfriend to Alaska with him. They spend a week there, and it's going well until the salmon stop running. There's a new group of bears who are kind of aggressive, and they go, let's get a plane ticket out of here. Uh, For some reason, it doesn't work out, and so he just goes back to camp, as you would. Um, If you know the story, maybe not. Anyway, a week later, a plane finally arrives, and can't find them anywhere. Uh, There's, like, bits everywhere. There's human remains. is this a bit too much? Sorry, this is relevant for the text, sorry. <laughs> Welcome to church. Uh, and they, they take the bear out, autopsy reveals they've been taken out by this bear. Full on, right? You have this massive, unstoppable force that draws you in, and Timothy couldn't recognize its danger. He was warned time and time again, and yet he was captivated by its beauty, and he must spend time with his bears. Today in our series, in the seven churches of Revelation, We meet the church of Thyatira where they're doing a number of things really well. Uh, They're making progress. Jesus looks within the church, though, and he can see that they're blinded by this force that has drawn them in uh, to the power of sin and particularly the danger of, uh, sorry, tolerance of idolatry and sexual immorality. Thyatira is about 50 k's southeast of Pergamum, so number three and four on that map of the seven churches most well-known for their trade guilds, bakers, carpenters, metal workers, cloth makers, weavers. If you've read the book of Acts, you might recall in chapter 16, we meet someone called Lydia, who is like a sales rep from Thyatira for their purple cloth in Philippi. And uh, she could have been someone who 
hears the gospel and went back to kind of found this church as one of the first Gentiles to be transformed by the gospel. And so this church is filled with really ambitious and driven tradespeople who are trying to make their way in the world and live for Jesus. They understand the grind of the workplace. They get Monday morning, the early start, uh, the tough colleague. Despite the pressure of juggling work, family and church, they're growing in love, faith and hope. And so today, uh, we'll see that the angel of the church in Thyatira has uh, a word of affirmation, a word of reformation, and a word of motivation within this letter, or A-R-M. I find that helpful. Anyway, a word of affirmation from verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you're now doing more than you did at first. Jesus loves his church. Because he loves his church, he is pleading with them to get rid of sin and corruption. They're washed, they're made pure by the blood of Christ. He says, your life is now to live for holiness and godliness for Christ, not like the world. In verse 18, we see that the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Ultimate authority, he sees everything. I can recall when I was six years old, went on my first overseas holiday to Thailand. I was super excited, thought I was going to pack my bags myself, but, you know, it doesn't quite happen that way when you're six years old. And we got to the airport, big bags checked in, get to the um, security scanner thing, and... Uh, backpacks and stuff are going through and uh, the security guy points at me and he says, can you come here? And he points to the screen and says, is this your bag? And I said, yeah. And there was a, my toy gun was in the bag. Uh, and I said, what's wrong with that? Like it's an essential, I just could not understand why you could not bring this on a plane. It was 1998, so it was a little bit like chilled out. Uh, anyway, they, uh, they said, just chuck it out. Um, but my parents were so embarrassed, couldn't believe it. I, I got away with this somehow, uh, sneaky six-year-old Simon. The, but I, I got away with it. I fooled my parents. I couldn't fool the airport scanner. Jesus, the Son of God, his eyes are like blazing fire. He sees everything. He sees everything within the church. Verse 18, these are the words of the Son of God. We can't set his words alongside anyone else's. Searching hearts and minds, pure and holy. And we hear of these two ingredients, fire and bronze, where Jesus, or he uses to introduce himself. Heat, furnace fire, intensity was so familiar to the people of Thyatira. They worked with copper, bronze, clothing dye. And so it's this picture of a, a burning furnace with all the workers who are, are laboring away. Uh, but one of the manifestations of the Son of God, sorry, of the Greek god Apollo was uh, the Son of God. In their culture, they were, they were pretty familiar with this, but as Christians, we know there's only one Son of God, the exalted Christ to whom all authority has been given, sovereign over everything. His eyes burn away all the facade as he knows what is happening in every church. He says in verse 23, I am he who searches hearts and minds. Imagine for a moment, come on to church next Sunday, we've got a scanner out the front. Uh, 
But it's not just like a metal detector one, uh, but it's like a spiritual scanner. It tells you what's going on in your heart and your mind. I think many people would rock up at church that week. But it'd be terrifying, right? Jesus sees everything. He knows exactly what is going on beneath the surface. In verse 19, we see that he also sees, he doesn't see just the bad stuff, he sees the good stuff, and he commends them for this. He says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, that you're now doing more than you did at first. Incredible to hear those words from Jesus, right? They were busy in service, it went beyond the rosters, they had this love that the Ephesian church lacked, they had this faith that was in danger in the church in Pergamon, And they had the same patient endurance that the church in Smyrna had. Whereas the Ephesian church was kind of going backwards a bit from where they first started. This church is progressing. Jesus sees your progress. He sees your fight against sin. He sees the habits that you're putting to death. The faithful service each week, even though it's it's not seen and it's concealed. I know your deeds, your love, your perseverance. He sees your quiet times, your prayer, faithfully for your friends and family who don't know Christ. Could Jesus say that we're growing in love? Do you love Jesus more than you did this time last year? Are we growing in our knowledge of God more and more every day? It's so easy to just kind of be superficial in our faith. I can recall the first time uh, I directed a youth camp, I picked up a minibus, could barely drive manual and hopped in and said, Youth Ministry 101, learn to drive a minibus. Um, it was a hard week uh, for young, uh, younger Simon. And I uh, remember getting home to this like five, five nights or four nights, five days, uh, up all night, you know, tending youth who were homesick and physically sick. And it was tough work. Got home uh, and I made it to my, my bedroom and I just like hit the floor and I just collapsed and, and slept. Uh, for like 13 hours straight. Didn't even make it to my bed, just on the floor, zonked out, same position. Uh, housemates were taking photos and stuff, thought it was very funny. The next day, they're like, what happened? Uh, I said, well, I didn't make it to my bed. I just collapsed from exhaustion as soon as I made it in. In the Christian life, it's easy to kind of, you know, you get in, you become a Christian, you're doing so much, but then you just kind of stay there, you fall asleep a bit, and you don't really progress. Uh, not really active, not really growing. You might think back to when you were like a, a young Christian in your 20s, oh, serving so much, but it's just, I don't really have time now. Jesus commends growing faith, however that looks for you. He commends love, he commends service. That's what he's after. It's a word of affirmation, that's me. Uh, we'll go to the next one, a uh, word of reformation from verse 20. Read along with me. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Jesus wants to keep the light of his church shining brightly. And it's here that Thyatira are confronted with the reality that they've been really tolerant to something that is not okay. It's the false teaching uh, that led them or is leading them to sexual immorality and idolatry. John takes us back to the days of one and two kings with King Ahab and Jezebel, uh, his wife, in the days of Elijah. The name Jezebel is enough to send a shiver down the spine of any Bible reader. Jezebel is known throughout Israel's history as being this incomer who introduced the worship of Baal to the very heart of Israel. 
It was centered on ritual prostitution. The gods could be induced to make the land fertile, uh, produce crops and increase the population. And the worship that Jezebel introduced combined idolatry and sexual immorality as Israel just sank deeper and deeper into sin and further away from God. At first, initially, it seemed so plausible with, with Jezebel. She, she wanted, didn't want to get rid of Yahweh worship. She said, let's kind of set them alongside each other uh, and do both. But really, she wanted to destroy the worship of Yahweh, uh, eventually killing off all the prophets of God before it was just Elijah in her way. This teaches us that, well, that's the Old Testament background. This teaches us as New Testament Christians that the enemy is within. Uh, someone changing the message will always be one of the major challenges for us as the church. Verse 20, she calls herself a prophet. She isn't actually a prophet, but she calls herself one and says that I have a message of divine authority, but it actually is going to lead you to sin. This false teacher claims she's received prophetic revelation and knows Satan's so-called deep secrets, uh, maybe leading you to a more supernatural, more real experience spiritually than what Christianity can offer you. If we think about the members of this church in Thyatira, in order for them to kind of be participating members in their workplace, uh, they'd be invited along to these fest or these feasts that might be dedicated to the god Apollo or Artemis, uh, which would follow just with sexual immorality, sacrifices to these other gods. Jezebel would say, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. You know, like, you follow Jesus, but it's just about your soul. Like, who cares what you do with your body? It's very attractive as those words play into the desires of the heart. She claims that this has been revealed to her prophetically. Any church that gives room to a, like a message like this that contradicts God's word is in serious, serious danger. Uh, I can recall doing ministry uh, at another church and uh, doing youth ministry, and I was looking to recruit some new youth leaders, and there were some really great young adults within the church, and they were at growth group every week, and they were uh, coming along to church every Sunday. It looked awesome from the outside. I thought, these, these guys would be perfect. Uh, and got to know them, and uh, all of them were sleeping with their partners who they weren't married to. And I thought, it's just the message of the world. It's just the world that we're in that says, oh, you know, the Bible, it's written so long ago. Um, it's, it's not relevant today. You know, it's, it's not the way that we're meant to live as Christians. Uh, who cares if you're not married? You know, it's just as long as you're faithful with your partner, that's, that's fine. Uh, as long as we love each other and we're faithful, surely that's okay. It's just the same voice. It's the same voice as Jezebel within this church, within the church of Thyatira. God doesn't lie. His word doesn't pass away. Uh, and we hear these pretty confronting words in verse 21. Jesus says, I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I'll cast her on a bed of suffering and I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I'll strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and will repay each of you according to your deeds. God desires repentance, not tolerance of sin. God gave Jezebel time to repent. The alternative is terrifying. Repentance is still possible today. John Stott says Christ's judgment is impeccable, 
infallible, unavoidable. His eyes see the hidden depths of every heart. He says, I am he who searches hearts and minds. Even if you're one of Jezebel's most committed disciples so far from Christ, Christ will forgive you if you turn to him. For the church was wrong in allowing this person to teach within their midst and they've tolerated her for too long. So it's vital that we guide our teaching at every level at church. Kids' church, DGs, youth, growth groups, Sundays. David Jackman uh, from St. Helens Bishopsgate Church in England says, everything must be tested by the word of God, not by the acceptability of the teacher. Hold on to what you have. Hold on to the gospel until the end. That's the responsibility of the church in every generation. And lastly, a word of motivation. Uh, from verse 26, we hear, To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give them that one, the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The promise is that if we hold fast to the end, we will share in the ultimate victory. Uh, the one who conquers and keeps my works, or does my works until the end, to them I'll give authority over the nations. This is the motivation. They'll rule over the nations. Bit of a weird thing to hear. Um, doesn't sound like a nice, I don't know, maybe you see that in movies and stuff. You're like, is it a good thing to rule the nations? Uh, maybe what he's calling us to do is living out our identity in Christ as rulers with Christ of the world. If we look back to Genesis and think what God asked of Adam and Eve, uh, what were they told to do? Rule the world. They failed in that by not listening to the word of God. And now this church has the opportunity to be rulers of the world by cultivating the planet with the gospel. If they fail to hold on to the word of God, they fail to be rulers of the world with Christ. So it was Adam and Eve's identity to be rulers of the world with God. And Jesus now, he is the last and true Adam. And so we're called to not let any false teaching come into our churches. When we are in Christ, we are who we were made to be. This includes every daily decision to choose Christ over the world. In verse 28, uh, he says, I'll give them the morning star. In Revelation 22, Jesus says, I am the bright morning star. And so it's this cool vision that in the midst of their trials, in the midst of daily just grinding away, going to work, trying to live for Jesus, Jesus says, I'll give you myself. He receives us and we receive him. Where the church is not following Jesus, it's no longer being a kingdom haven for people to find refuge in Christ, to find rest in him. Uh, and just the other week, it was really encouraging to, to hear about some new people coming to church uh, for the first time. They don't usually go to church. And just hearing that they are just fed up with the world and the brokenness there is. They're just hungry for truth. Uh, and that's a story for so many people in our lives. It's incredibly easy. Oh, sorry. First question. <laughs> so how can we create a kingdom culture here at church? So, so easy just to live like the world. It's not easy to create a Jesus-centered kingdom culture. The great theologian Alice Cooper says these words. Drinking beer is easy. Trashing your hotel room is easy. 
Being a Christian, that's a tough call. That's rebellion. Being like the world, being accepting to what, our, what the world believes, it's so easy. Why would people come here if we're just like the world? But if we're committed to Christ, committed to his word, the truth of his word, that's what we're made for. That's what we need. So don't hold on to your truth. Hold on to his truth until the end. Hold on to the gospel. And let's see lives and households within this community transformed as we live for Christ. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the ruling, reigning, and returning king. His eyes, like blazing fire, see everything within our hearts, within our church. Nothing is hidden from you. And so we ask that we would surrender all that we have to you. By your spirit, grow us in faith, in love and deeds. May we not be tolerant to sin and worldliness creeping in. We ask that we would create a kingdom culture that's centred upon Jesus here at Camden Haven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi again, this is Nathan. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope that we shared something that's helpful to you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little more about us, we are Camden Haven Anglican Church. We're a church that tries not to be too churchy and more relational. We meet every Sunday. We have four services at two locations. If you want to connect with us, you can find more about us on our website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just send an email to info at havenanglican.com. If this teaching has blessed you, we'd love to hear from you wherever you are in the world. And we pray that we've helped you to grow a little more into Jesus today. See you next time.